This is the Rolling with Tay podcast. I'm your host, Tasia, a.k.a. Tay, and this is episode 11. My guest is Edmundo. I call him Ed, a.k.a. Ed. <laughs> and um, we first met in 2018 at the uh, Bronx Cranksgiving. I, I was super nervous to go. I saw about this. I don't even I don't even remember how I heard about this probably online or news 12 or something and I was like yo that would be super dope um to attend and I had just gotten my folding bike um not too long ago so I'm super excited I'm on my folding bike I'm doing something good for the community maybe I'll meet some people the the event was dope I had never seen parts of the Bronx like that like, it's a scavenger hunt. And then I'll have Ed explain more about it. But it's a scavenger hunt. <laughs> and, and I had never been to um, certain parts of the Bronx. Like, I didn't know where the <laughs> hell I was. I, was like, I didn't even know these places existed. Um, I definitely was like, I wasn't the last person back, but I was like the second to last person back. <laughs> and... Ed was one of the organizers, and he gave me, um, I think you gave me uh, uh, um, some inner tubes. And I was just happy. You, first of all, you asked me if I had a regular bike. Because <laughs> I rode it in on a folding bike. And I was just like, I'll, I'll get one. And he gave me the inner tubes anyway. And then from then on, we just, and then the second time, God told this, I ran into him as I was riding my bike. I had you, he's walking his dog. And I was just like, I know you, you know, don't think I'm weird. Um, I just wanted to say hi to you. And then <laughs> ever since then, we've been social media friends. Uh, we linked up a couple of times. He's a super dope person. And I just want to thank you for being a guest on my podcast. No, no, thank you, thank you. That was really dope to hear and kind of reflect on. And this is uh it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. And just to touch lightly on, on some of your Cranksgiving story, um, not only did it kind of just fill me with some joy to like hear the the experience that you had, but it also reminded me that we're doing something that I'm trying to be intentional on or that when it comes to Cranksgiving or Bronx Cranksgiving, I should say, because that's the one I'm responsible for. Um, there are no losers. Like mm -hmm. no, nobody's a loser. You participate, you know, you, you did your thing regardless of first or last or a lot or a little, mm -hmm. you know, we came together and there are no losers that day, you know, so. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, everyone was super cool. Um, everyone who participated, everyone who put it together. And, you know, thank you for help organizing that. Uh, it, it's, it's truly my pleasure. It's one of those things that it just kind of just happened as with a lot of stuff. Um, when it's come to the bike and community for me, um, these were not things that I saw or ever envisioned for myself. Um, it's just kind of uh, as as my life would progress in different avenues and ways, it would just come upon it. And um, Bronx Cranksgiving just it just happened. And the first time we did it, it was a 30 day turnaround from planning to day of. And it was all because the opportunity was there and the people I reached out to and spoke to was like, nah, you got to do this. And with support, we pulled it off, you know, and. That was five years ago, and this will be year six, you know. 
Nice, nice, nice. All right, we'll get into a little more of that a little later. Um, I want to find out how you got into cycling as an adult, or were you yeah. always into cycling from a kid and it just transitioned um, into your adulthood? So uh, I got into cycling as an adult around 2011. Um, I had been doing what I thought was like physical fitness and exercise, basically going to gym, walking on treadmill. I could, I can't stand running. I still to this day do not like running. I walk forever, but I do not like to run. And I had a, a coworker and a good friend, separate people who were into mountain biking. And I was like, yo, I loved biking as a kid. I was like one of my greatest joys. And I was like, that's cardio. I, I'm going to do this again. Like, let me let me find a bike. And I found a, a used bike. And I recommend to anyone listening, if you start off with a used bike, um, I found a used bike with the help of those two friends on Craigslist. Uh, and I started mountain biking. I was like, holy shit, I'm out of shape. Uh, yeah, a bike will quickly remind you how quickly you're not in shape, depending on what other physical activities you're doing. Uh, and then I was really having a good time. And shortly thereafter, I bought the bike. Um, there was a charity event happening in Manhattan, which I, I believe it still goes on. It's called Bike MS. And I was going to do the 30-mile loop, which basically is a loop of all of Manhattan. They closed down the FDR, the West Side Highway, the Henry Hudson Parkway, um, and the Harlem River Drive. So you do a full loop of Manhattan car-free on the, on the highways uh, and parkways. But my buddy was like, yo, you can't use a mountain bike. Here, use my hybrid. And you have to raise money. You have to raise about 200, 250 bucks. Uh, and it was, it was just great. It was a great experience. I was kind of working my way up to 30 miles. I had never done nothing like that in my life prior. Um, so I just kind of did it like two weeks. I just rode every couple of days. So that that sensation of hitting that milestone for myself, um, knowing that I'm giving back and contributing – Oh, I was like, oh, this is great, but I also need something like this. And then little by little, oh, in 2012, I got hit by a car at work. Yeah. And I was kind of like laid up at home and I was hurting, um, gaining weight, the usual stuff that happens when, when you're injured. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, my shoulder was really busted. And I spoke to the, man, I'm forgetting the name. I spoke to the doctor. And he was like, um, I was, doctor, can I ride? Like, I discovered riding as again, as you know, recently, and I was really having a good time. He said, well, what kind of riding you do? I said, I like to ride in the street and I also mountain bike. And he was like, well, no mountain biking, because that's mm -hmm. going to really affect your shoulder. But you can stick to the road in the streets. And so I just started riding my bike all the time and everywhere, because I wasn't working. And I, I didn't want to stay home. Um, I discovered the folks of Social Cycling NYC, so now I started finding community, mm -hmm. and I just I just took that deep, deep dive, and while falling in love with cycling, I was getting surrounded by the cycling culture, so for me, it just all kind of just worked out, and and I'm sure I, I, I've seen your photos and seen some <laughs> social media, uh, and you've been, you've been really blessed to be surrounded by some dope individuals, strong cyclists, mm -hmm. those Came for me. I found some really knowledgeable folks, strong people who were welcoming. And I just found this community and I was like, this is amazing. I want all of this. And I just kept going. And and yeah, that was 2011 and we're 
talking about 11 years now. It sounds kind of crazy to, to say it that way. <laughs> That's nice. That is nice. Yeah. Dang. So did you, from then, all right, so your first bike that you got on Craigslist, do you remember it? Do you yeah. like remember what? I still got it. I, oh. I refuse to get rid of it. And it's weird. I only paid 250 bucks for it. It's super outdated and it's old. But for some reason, that's my first bike. That's what started this journey and this path mm-hmm. that I'm on. And I always tell folks that um, uh, three things that really changed my life into like a major trajectory when the moment they happened was, was my son being born, mm-hmm. um, getting hit by the car, mm-hmm. and cycling. Like, mm-hmm. I really can truly say that my life wouldn't be where anywhere it is at this point if it was not for cycling. Like, mm-hmm. it just put me on a way to discover things like you. I started discovering my borough and my city more. Yep. Um, I met folks um, who were really borough-minded. And I always had this Bronx pride and this dope friend of mine who, at the time, we weren't close, but now she's like my sister um she she called me out she's like what do you do for the Bronx like mm. you, you say that you say that but what do you do mm. you know and she was part of um advocacy and she was doing work with like transportation alternatives yeah and other folks and that's when I learned about community I was like wait a minute there's a lot of shit we don't get just because we don't ask for it yep. like mind blown but I'm 30 years old you know <laughs> so it was, it just kept going down that path. So I still got the bike. It's a Marin Muir Woods. Uh, no, I'm sorry, wrong bike. It's a Gary Fisher Sugar 4 Plus full suspension mountain bike. I have not been mountain biking in like two years. And that was one of the things that I was hoping to maybe get back into in this fall. But mountain bikes are expensive. <laughs> they are expensive. And I'm a heavy dude. I'm like 240, so I just can't. Just can't ride anything. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, that's super dope. Now speaking about uh, the Bronx and and what you've done for the Bronx and what you're doing for the Bronx, uh, let's go back a little bit and talk about the Bronx Cranksgiving and then how you know um, that formed and then your involvement in it. Yes. Yes. So. Um, around that time, around the 2012, 2013, I learned about Cranksgiving NYC. And it had been a long running event where basically it's a charity event, a scavenger hunt, very much like what we do in the Bronx Cranksgiving. Um, it had got started by New York City Bike Messengers as a way to give back to the homeless community during the holidays. And I heard about it. My friends who in the second community said they had done it or were trying it. So I was all for it. I went out, had a great time it was like such a sense of community mm-hmm. there's also this sense of competition so i'm pushing myself yep. and you know so you could treat it as a race or you could treat it as a ride and i in my mind i'm racing in my mm-hmm. mind i'm fast um i did good i was not a top finisher <laughs> but i felt i was very respectable in my yep. finishing that first time and then after that i was like i'm coming back and then i found out someone had one like best costume just for like wearing a hat or something. So I was like, yo, next year I'm wearing a turkey costume. <laughs> the following year, I came back in the turkey costume. I linked up with some friends. 
we had a grand old time, but this time I was like, I'm not racing, I'm riding. We're just chilling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I had kind of been giving shit to the organizer, who's a super dope dude, and we're friends now, but it started off really kind of sketchy because the after parties will often be in Brooklyn. Yeah. And at the time, I was on a very anti-Brooklyn um, trip because the cycling community and culture and almost everything was always pushing towards Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. That's when yeah. downtown Brooklyn was booming. And as a Bronx head, I'm like, yo, that's a two-hour bike ride home all the time. Yeah. And so I had become very anti-Brooklyn, and I was giving him some some grief. And But then he communicated with me, and we talked, and we developed this respectable relationship and I understood what he meant because that's when I kind of started organizing events myself when the first one was with Laura Solis when we did um uh the Bronx bike swap mm. and I had already been organizing bike rides so I started understanding the difficulty of accessing space especially space you don't pay for mm-hmm. where it's free um so then we got cool and uh, he had lost uh, a sponsor or wasn't working with a sponsor, which at the time was Brooklyn Brewery. And as you know, or most yeah. people who listening, bikes and beer are very synonymous with one yes. another. Um, so he hit me up and he had known that I had relationships with the Bronx Brewery and other breweries in the Bronx. And he was like, yo, you think you can make a connection? I was like, hey, I can send you over my contact. And I connected them, and the Bronx Brewery was like, hey, we'll give you a bunch of free beer, and we'll, you can even host your party here. And he was like, yo, Ed, I'm not bringing a party up to the Bronx because, you know, cyclists <laughs> don't come up to the Bronx. Like, the outer boroughs don't ride into the Bronx. So you have access to the space. They offered it to me. That might be something you might want to jump on. And instead of Thanksgiving getting involved in the Bronx, you could do your own spinoff. Mm-mm. And I was like, man, that really wasn't what I was asking for. I was just asking for some Bronx representation, not my own thing. I had never done anything like that. Um, I confided with Lara Salis mm-hmm. uh, and some other folks. And they were like, nah, you, you got to do it. You got to make it happen. So I reached out to the brewery. And they were saying like, yo, use the space. We'll, we'll, we'll hook you up with some swag. And I just started reaching out to different businesses and establishments. And everybody was like, nah, we got you. Say no more. Chrome was like, we'll give you a free, we'll give you two free bags. Because I was signed off that I was always um, intentional on. I was like, prizes have to be equitable for men and women. Because in cycling, it's often not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody was just super supportive. And it was like, as chaotic and crazy as it was, kind of just all came together. And it was literally a community effort. And I don't remember if I just answered your question. I'm sorry, I'm rambling. No, you did. That, that is super dope. <laughs> no, you definitely did. Um, yeah, and thank you for bringing it to the Bronx, having I'm, Bronx Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm happy it's here. We've, we've been able to collaborate and work with some really dope folks. Um, every year, uh, I feel overwhelmed, but also really surprised. Um, last year was a, with the pandemic. I was like, man, we're not doing this. This is crazy. I'm not trying to put nobody in a position to get yeah, sick. Of course. You know, um, but then people were asking, sponsors were asking, and that's something that was like, whoa, it's usually hard to get stuff. And they're even like, hey, are you doing this? You know, we got stuff to give you. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, holy shit. And we pulled it off. We got it together. And come to find out, it was the biggest turnout from Ooh. all the five years that we ever had. Ah. It was like 82 participants. Uh, 
And I know for other boroughs, for Manhattan and even Brooklyn that started up right after we started up, um, those numbers aren't um, maybe any crazy for them. But to have 82 people riding a bike, that's exactly. like, wow, that's, that's crazy on a, on, a, on a Saturday, maybe chilly um, November morning, you know, that's. And we collected the most food we ever collected. Mm. Uh, we, we've been able to collaborate with different organizations. It started off with Bronx Works, but now we got even more grassroots. And we last year we did it with Love in the Bronx. We have a home in the Point CDC. They were like, yo, so long as you want to be here, you're welcome. You know, so, and, it's, and this is all donation, all support. Mm. We have a budget of zero. And we, we just make it happen every year with, with volunteers and, and good people. That's amazing. That's amazing. So for everybody listening, uh, come out to Bronx Cranksgiving, all right? Yeah. yeah, so just so folks, and I make it really easy to remember. If you participated one year, you can always remember. It's two Saturdays before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It's always easy. Or the Saturday after the marathon. Those are the two ways you can always remember. It's the, it's the week after the marathon or two weeks before Thanksgiving. That way, all the food that gets collected, um, we can distribute it to the community members in need and ensure that they got something to eat, if, if not for a little while, at the very least, the holidays. That's amazing. Super dope. Now, with the food, is it something that you guys handle yourself or you give to an organization um, and then they hand, hand it out to families in need. So that's how we did it the first few years. Um, we were just giving it to Bronx Works. And I just want to mention something I forgot earlier. Another draw for me with the Cranksgiving was that whole history and connection to homelessness mm-hmm. and food insecurity. Mm-hmm. As someone who grew up in a household with two other siblings, working class poor, it was very relatable to me mm-hmm. um, to the point that I didn't realize I was homeless as a kid until I was much older. And I was like, oh, that was us being homeless. I thought it was just normal to move. I thought it was just normal to live in other people's houses. Mm. So that was another thing that was really special for me about Thanksgiving in itself. Um, that also, and by that time I had learned a little bit more about the Bronx and that's when the whole Bronx opportunity popped up. It was just like, you can't, you can't turn away from yeah. this. And um, to answer your question, we started off, we was giving off the food of Bronx Works. And I'll be honest, um, they were great. They were great partners, but I just felt that it was too much of me. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, y'all, y'all got bank. Y'all, y'all, y'all not just no regular nonprofit. Y'all got big money. And then y'all just coming, scooping up the food and bouncing. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, they were appreciative. They were good people over there. But I was like, I need a, I need a more deeper connection. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So then the following year, um, I linked up still via Bronx Works, but I linked up with a very specific community center, which is the Betances Community Center and mm-hmm. um, by St. Mary's Park. And uh, the head person there was like, yo, this is amazing because we lost, we used to do a food drive every year. And that person backed out due to financial reasons. Mm. And community members have been asking if we're going to be able to give them food. And we were telling them we didn't know. So she was like, yo, we're so on this. So we gave the food directly to them and they were able to feed about five or six of the of the buildings that surround wow. the community center. Yeah, so it was dope. And then the year after that, 
Um, I linked up with a Catholic church over in Highbridge. Um, that's a woman's shelter mm-hmm. and uh, women and small children. And similarly, they were saying they were having financial struggles. So we gave all their food, all the food that was collected. Um, we gave it to them and they were able to use it for their kitchen that houses the women while also providing the, the women who have small children baby food. So that's something else that we're always very intentional on that I also learned from Cranksgiving NYC is that we always ensure baby food is one of the required food items. Because mm-hmm. when people hear homeless, most people just think adults yeah. and they forget how many times it's family and small children. You know, I used to have stats and numbers when I would talk to people and it escaped me right now, but you'd be surprised the percentage of homeless folks are children, mm. you know? So I'm um, getting a little emotional, sorry. Um, so yeah, so we hooked up with them. And then from there, uh, last year I was able to hook up with um, Love in the Bronx and they did a food drive. And then I also linked up um, through all, all through community member relationships. Mm-hmm. I linked up with... um. Uh, someone called from Rebirth. I'm going to mess up the name. I believe it's Rebirth Bronx, along those lines. Mm-hmm. They're a grassroots collective of folks that um, ensure that women and children have like diapers, baby food, and all their needs. So we gave them that, and they was able to feed like a hundred and something families from the food collected. Wow. Loving the Bronx was able to feed almost 150 plus households. So it's just been dope. You know, we just, we, I, I try to ensure that we're very intentional. Yeah with who we're giving it and mm-hmm. truth be told that was one of the reasons why we also left Bronx Works because they one year they asked to use the food for a, a food workshop and they were also going to give out food bags but I'm like yo y'all got money y'all don't need to use this food for a workshop like exactly y'all got money so that was like nah we we need to find someone more connected to the community so and that's where we at right now um August is the month that I usually start reaching out to folks and be like, hey, I want to remind y'all that this is what's <laughs> going to happen in November and kind of start seeing, you know, do we have a place? There was one time that one year Thanksgiving was homeless. Uh, the venue we were going to host it at had to shut down. Mm. And luckily for us, um, My Haven Barn Grill, which is just celebrated its last a few months there. Um, Rosa, the owner, I spoke to her. I told her that what the event was about and she provided us with access to her event space totally free of charge she didn't know me from a hole in the wall i was just another customer who would get drunk during brunch (laughs) Um, and she supported you know um yeah so that's kind of been the way you know connect to the community as much as we can that's super dope and that's amazing like i commend you and your whole team for like i said for putting this together and then like making sure food gets to the right people you know um especially like when you donate stuff like and who is this going to you know yeah. this, this some of this stuff leaves the community i'm like what well, you know yeah man, i just want like you know when i donate stuff like it gets to the people it gets to the people in the community that needs it the most mm-hmm. so that's super dope um switching gears just a tad bit you are super involved in your community um, and like we said, the Bronx, anything do, dealing with the Bronx, um, I can hit you up. Like, hey, I, I remember when I hit you up about the Bronx market. I'm like, hey, did you hear about this? She was like, yeah, I heard about it. 
Yeah, I just found out about this. Yeah, it's a lot going on. That's still stuff I'm finding out about all the time, but that's dope. You know, it's like, you know, and I was one of those people that always thought there's nothing happening here, and I used to go to other places, you know, and I was like, well, no, there's, there's a bunch of stuff happening. You just need to pay attention. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So what is your involvement with Concrete Plant Park? And then why is that important to you and for the community? Okay, awesome question, and thank you for asking that. Um, so Concrete Plant Park is a park along Westchester Avenue, literally in my neighborhood park. Um, it was once the site of a concrete factory, mm-hmm. um, which has the name, um, from like the 40s to the Then they had some tax issues, and they were supposedly supposed to shut down. They kept operating um, illegally, and then one day they just up and left. <laughs> and they left the buildings with like running water, electricity, and this was in the Bronx in the late in the late eighties, early nineties. So, for folks who may not be aware, uh, it was a very uh, there was a lot of um, addiction issues. There was mm-hmm. a lot of you know uh, other societal issues that were happening that would take advantage of a space like that. So it became a place for squatters, for users, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Um, no one would go down there. And through through the work and advocacy work and organizing of mostly young people, supported by local community nonprofits and grassroots organizations, um, they brought enough attention and highlighted um, that area that it needed act water that this community needed waterfront access, where they got parks in the city to purchase that land and turn it into a park. So. Uh, my connection to the park is that it's a neighborhood park. And it, again, I was one of those folks that just did, I wouldn't go there too often just because it was like, you didn't really know I was down there. There wasn't much to do once you got in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you knew the history, it's a little sketch. And it looks sketch from the Westchester Avenue entrance. Um, but around 20, as I started getting involved in different stuff, um, I got I started like volunteering with this organization called Bronxville Alliance. And there was a meeting happening because I was going to bring a food way uh, to Concrete Plant Park. It was this new thing, like, we're going to grow food publicly that's edible and medicinal, and people can consume it and pick it and forage at at their leisure. And I was like, yo, this sounds wild. This was dope because it also, there was part of a project that was um, um, called Swales, a floating food forest that was docked there at the park. And I saw this big boat and I made some connections and we talked. So they were like, remember what was on the boat? That's going to be in the park now. So I'm like, whoa. And then there was all that development happening along the Sheridan. Mm-hmm. I heard about buildings. I, you see the buildings getting built. So I joined this meeting because I was like, I want to be informed and involved because I don't want my neighborhood to be the next downtown Brooklyn. Um, whereas like development, these beautiful things, but they're not for me. Um so I started getting involved, and then a few of the residents in the neighborhood folks, we got together and we def- we created this group with the help and support of some people in some really dope positions and nonprofits uh, where we started Concrete Friends. And basically, we're a friends group. And for folks who don't know what a friends group is, you just like you advocate for a certain space or park. You you volunteer. You activate the space. You, you ensure. So our goal is to ensure that Concrete Plant Park and the Foodway um, remain for the community because mm-hmm. it's a park that got started by the community. So anything that's happening in there should be community centered, focused, community led. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it's not about the community, then it shouldn't be happening there. You know, find somewhere else to do that. 
And we just, you know, we've been growing. We've been getting supported um, by different organizations and groups of people. Um, so it's really dope. Like, we actually got an event this uh, this Saturday. We're, we're hosting an event where there'll be opportunities to um, have art therapy. Uh, we've hosted um, uh, different type of workshops where there's, like, food. We've supported other stuff. It's just, it's a group of people who have come together through their love of the park and community to uplift both of those things, the park and the community. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. Damn, you 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 know what? <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm I'm one of those folks. I used to complain about what was around, and then I realized a lot of this stuff. I'll be honest. Sometimes I'm really overwhelmed. I'll be feeling burnt out. Mm-hmm. And there's some dope individuals who really support me and and listen to me and hear me out, or I lean on and use their knowledge or their experience. Um, but it's like, yo, this is my hood. Exactly. You know, and if we don't do it, either it doesn't happen or the people who will make it happen probably don't look like us, don't come from where we come from, don't have the same interests. Exactly. You know, so we, we we can't lose what we got, even if it's not ours. You know, we got to we got to hold this until it becomes ours. You know, mm. wow, dropping gems here. <laughs> 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 Make me want to join the community board. <laughs> Word, yo, but we need, yo, yeah. people think community boards are dope. It's mostly old people who don't think like the younger folks. And that's yeah. one of the things that is like, they're not always, they're almost like gatekeepers. You know, yeah. they're not, they don't always have the community representation in mind. Like mm-hmm. how many people on that community board are undocumented? Probably none. Mm-hmm. You know, how, you know, how many people in that community board um, are currently homeless? probably none but you're making decisions for us you know so that there's exactly this stuff and i didn't know about community boards so i was 30 years old mm-hmm. you know meanwhile they're making decisions for me yeah absolutely right <laughs> you're absolutely right everything <laughs> because they have to uh disclose what they're going to do within the neighborhoods so if you go to those community board meetings you know exactly what's going on i went to one a uh, couple years ago and they were talking about putting a bike lane on Southern Boulevard. And the community were like, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we, it's hard time finding parking anyway. We do not need it there. Sure enough, there is a bike lane. <laughs> and, and I knew about that prior to. And I was just like, hmm, okay. But and I, sure enough. But I'll keep, it, I'll keep it a buck. As someone who does that kind of advocacy work of trying to get bike lanes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I also know that when when if you're not a cyclist, when you see bike lanes, you're thinking I'm losing parking. Yeah. You're thinking this neighborhood's about to get drenched fried. You know, you, you're thinking this ain't for me. Yeah. You know, I remember the expansion of Starlight Park that's happening behind my house that I'm like super involved with now. When it first started, I was one of those community members at that meeting saying, No, I want the used auto junkyard behind my house because at least I know that. They got dogs. Ain't nobody jumping from behind my house into my into my building, you know, as opposed to this random park where there's no security. So the fear of the unknown tends to kind of stop us from that progress, you know. So it's like you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And you're scared of it. Yeah. You know, so I, I understand the pushback on bike lanes and I understand as someone who drives, I understand the pushback on parking 
And that's why I always say, like, if we put better pressure on our electeds to provide us with a, a, a true public transportation system, uh-huh. most people won't drive if it's cheaper and it makes more sense and faster to use another, another means of transportation, which is why I love the bike so much, because most places I get to quicker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially during like rush hour, I'm like, no, nah, I'm just gonna ride my bike. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be in traffic. I'm not gonna find a parking spot. So, so going back to the biking, how do you see, or do you see, the Bronx biking community change from when you started to now? Okay, we see more bike lanes, but do you see more people cycling in the Bronx? Yes. Um. So it's it's like yes. And and yes, but it's for two different reasons. So I think it has just been growing more. Mm-hmm. As Like when I first started, most people who rode, rode out of necessity, especially in the poorer neighborhoods. Um, you either couldn't afford it or you lived in the old school two-fare zones. And for the folks who are too young to understand what that is, that was before Metro cards existed. You couldn't transfer from the bus to the train or the train in the bus. So... If you're one of those folks, it was cheaper to kind of bike ride. If you're undocumented and your money's kind of tight, you bike ride. Um, so when I started around 2011, 2012, there were some bike lanes that were normally put in areas that didn't make no sense. And that was the city's way of saying, we gave you bike lanes. Um, but it, it has grown. It has gotten better because I think it had the, the understanding behind it and, you know, credit to the city, the, the pushing it through, even when maybe certain people don't want it has helped expand it. What I will give extreme amount of credit to, I'm loving where the biking culture is out in the Bronx right now. And I give extreme credit to that, to the pandemic. When people couldn't travel and couldn't go nowhere, all I started seeing was people on bikes, groups, different cycling groups, different cycling clubs, and people coming together like that. And, and I know what happens. Same thing when, like, when the transit strike happened some years ago. Yeah. Once people start riding a bike out of necessity, they kind of start falling in love with it, or they pick it up more often, where it's not just sitting there and being used as like a clothes um hanger, you know. Um. So yeah, it's it's grown greatly, and you know, I think that was one of the 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 good things about the pandemic. You know, there's a lot of hardships and sorrow that comes with it, mm-hmm. but you know. The, the bike boom, the sense of um, of community, seeing all these mutual aids pop up, you know, community fridges and community members supporting one another. I think those those are all dope because that's ways that we can see that we don't have to rely on, on, on government. We don't have to rely on companies or organizations. Like, we, we can provide each other with what we need and want, you know. So, yes, biking has blown up. I'm loving it. Uh... I wish I could make all the rides and all the meetups. <laughs> um, I love that there's a woman-specific only group in the Bronx. Yeah. Um, I remember when I first started cycling, I I I had the I was really blessed to be part of a group that women were represented and leading. But when they wanted to do like the women's only ride, I was like, "What's that about? Like, why are you doing that for?" Not understanding the the totality of the culture. When then as I started expanding more, I started realizing, oh, they do need their own space, you know, and and not just realizing on my own, it was difficult to have conversations with friends that I really respected. But, you know, that's how a lot of progress is made or things are learned, you know, people who care about you or respect you, they pull you over and like, hey, 
we need to talk about this. You're moving wrong. And <laughs> I was one of those folks that was pushing up against the, we don't need women-only bike rides. Mm-hmm. We need mm-hmm. more social rides to get more people out. Mm-hmm. And then I learned that, that was I was wrong on that one. So to see a Bronx-specific bike group, beautiful. I would have never thought that would have happened uh, five years ago when I first started. I would have, that was, nah, that was dope. So yeah. it, and it is dope because they, they're doing their thing. Shout out to them. Yeah, shout out to the Bronx Girl Bike Gang. Yeah, yeah, I love the name. Too. <laughs> the fact they got the word "gang" in there. Yes, <laughs> let's let's break down what that word means. You know. Yeah, that's super dope. I've uh, ridden with them a couple times. Everyone's super cool. Yeah, shout out to them. Um, yeah, hope to see them in Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe. Yeah, they- uh, I believe black. Black Girls Do Bike came out this past year and had a nice, rep- nice representation and nice, some of them nice, came out nice. early. So, yeah, I've been yep. loving seeing the whole, you know, um, the first one that I saw of that nature was We Bike NYC. Mm-hmm. Um, and But, you know, truth be told, it was like mostly white women and mostly from like Brooklyn or affluent areas. Yeah. Um, so to see like these, uh, the representation from different communities, whether it's boroughs, genders, seeing all of that happen and having seen these inclusive spaces, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I understand it. And it's so beautiful to see. Yeah. It really is. It is. I just love the different um, groups of cyclists. Um, I was telling my friend, Serena, who I interviewed, you know, it is a, a resurgence of a lot of these black cycling clubs because back in the early 1900s if you look at old newspapers there were so many black cycling clubs and you know why we we had to have our own because we weren't admitted <laughs> in so but that didn't stop us they were like all right exactly. well, we're going and it's so crazy to see like the parallels because they're doing the exact same thing from having social events to to having rides to having races to ju- it's so cool to see to give it back yes all of it and i'm just like this is so dope so yeah and, i love and, it and what i love about it too is um i think i feel really blessed to be at a time where technology is supporting us and helping us yeah. because our ancestors were doing that and and I'm gonna use this word intentionally in very segregated spaces. Mm-hmm. You know, like they didn't know what was going on maybe um a hundred miles away. Yeah. But now we could be like, yo, there's an event happening where I'm I'm packing up my car, I'm going there, I'm representing. Yo, I went to Philadelphia Thanksgiving, time of my life. Mm. And I also learned, yo, there's a different way to do this. Yeah. You know, and that's when I was, and I was like, yo, can I incorporate some of yours into what I'm doing in the process? Like, yo, please. And they help explain. They send PDFs. I mean, like that sense of community and culture that it really does become like a, a sub family, yeah. you know, where you you have this, this group of people who only they really kind of get you and understand you yeah. in ways that other folks can't, you know. And like you said. There might be some days you want to go on a fast-paced ride where you're barely talking. You know where to find that group. Yep. You know, there might be days where you're like, I just kind of want to cruise, maybe drink a beer, eat a donut. You know where to find that group, too. Even exactly. or, or Or even better, go solo. The first time I saw you on Broad Shipper, you were solo. 
you yeah. know? And I was like, I was like a black woman on a bike across the road. <laughs> Yo, what's up? And he was like, we met before. And I was like, oh shit, this happens to me a lot. And that's because <laughs> I be doing too much and be drinking. <laughs> but yeah, I, that was, uh, thanks for reminding me about that. That was a great, great encounter that day. And I was so excited. I text, I'm like, yo, I met a black woman cyclist today. <laughs> right? <laughs> we used to call them unicorns. My friend Laura used to call mm-hmm. them a unicorn. That's how, that's how often you didn't see them in the hood. Yeah. yeah. You know, and now everywhere you turn, boom, there's unicorns. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that I could, you know, I'm I'm representing, you know, so much. Like, I'm out here on this bike. I'm in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. I'm a black woman. Mm-hmm. I like, I would tell my friend, I'm like, you know, people are staring at me. I don't know if they're staring at me because I'm a black woman on a bike. <laughs> I'm on a bike. It's kind of cold. I don't know. They So many reasons. You know, I'm just like. All of it. All of it. I'm just like, I don't know. Um. Oh man. So, what does cycling mean to you? Like, what I know that it, you spoke earlier how like it it helped change your life in so many ways. What does it mean for you, physically, mentally? Like, if you can explain. Yeah. So, man, something I never really had to think about, but I'm sure I probably said it in in different ways before. Um, it, it's, it's the first, so I recently got into meditation mm-hmm. and I, I, I will say that, uh, it's been extremely helpful for anyone who, who has tried it and hasn't worked for it. Keep trying. Uh, it's not like anything else where you're just going to get it. You, you, that's why they call it a meditation practice. You have to keep doing it for a while before <laughs> it works. Um, so I had, uh, that was the first time I had experienced like this bliss on the bike. Mm-hmm. I was riding and all my worries, all my troubles, were mm-hmm. just like, come on, my, my, my brain felt clear. And it was like, Whoa, I want more of this. So for me, it's, it's a way to feel grounded. If there's times that I'm not really in a good space, I'd be like, you know what? I need to jump on the bike. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's a way to me to, to support my community, whether it's not polluting or getting around quickly. Like there's just, it's just such an anchor into so many different, uh, of not just parts of my life, but goals and aspirations. Like I, I started traveling. I've been to Puerto Rico, my bike a few times. I've been to Austin, mm. Texas with my bike. I went to Portland, um, Portland, um, Oregon, my homies over there, loan me a bike. Like, there's no better way to see or experience the city uh, or, or area. You know, it's just, it's just has this really, really central, it's a part of my life. Like, I, like, I, I, I don't, I, I can't, I cannot envision me not riding. I cannot envision, like, that's nothing I love, being on these group rides and you see people in their 70s and their 80s and yeah. they're out doing it. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, that, I, I want that, you know, and what else, what else can you do that you could be like, what other sport can you do that you still holding your own, you know, well, well into your twilight years, you know, where, where your only competition at the end of the day is actually you, yeah. you know, you're your only competition on that bike. So uh, it's, it's grounding, it's inspirational, it helps me get fit and clear my mind. 
it's just a big anchor. It's just, but a good anchor. You know, it's a, it's a, a real stable place for me. You know? So I love it, and I hope that answers your question. <laughs> no, it does. It does. I feel the same way. I, you know, whenever I'm going through something, stress. I'm on a bike when I'm happy, or like you said, yeah. you know, I'm just like, ah, uh, you know, I'm not feeling too great. Let me get on this bike, and mm-hmm. I always feel better. Mm-hmm. Like I always feel better. I just rode a hundred miles Saturday in Kudos. Jersey. I've only done that one. <laughs> Thanks. That was an amazing experience, and every time I see folks like you and my other friends killing it, I'm like, go, 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 get it. <laughs> that whole time I'm on that bike, I'm just like, Tasia, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> mile 80, I was just like, man, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it, but my phone dies, my Garmin dies, I'm just like, and I'm just thinking in my head, like, you know what, regardless this is fun. Like, I had such a good time. Body was, my, my legs starting to cramp up. Body's aching a little bit. But I'm, I'm challenging myself mentally and physically. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was so happy to get off that bike and finish. But I, even through the cramping and the pain and just my butt hurting, <laughs> I was happy like yeah. it was a good ride it's always a good ride it's always a good time when I'm on my bike regardless of what and once I get off I, I sat back and I was like I did that yes I was just gonna say that like that that's one of those feelings that I love and whether that's knocking out a new mileage yep. or a new milestone for yourself yep. or literally just going up a hill that you could never accomplish yep. and I've been there so many times like why or or you get caught in the rain yep. and you're like yo why the hell I'm into this this is crazy but then when you do it when it happens that sense of joy that sense of accomplishment you're like this is an amazing feeling that I just never want to not have exactly you know yeah the joy of cycling <laughs> oh, man yeah we we, we, we should, I, I feel like that should be like a a Bob Ross inspired type of show, the joy of cycling. The joy of cycling. <laughs> you know, we have someone very soft spoken talking about components. You know, and, you know, you gotta have the shirt open with the chest hair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we coming up with shows right now, so let's, let's we gotta put that into motion. Right? <laughs> if you're listening, that's already been trademarked. Exactly. <laughs> Definitely want you to come back and talk some more about um, Thanksgiving and all the other things that you're doing within the community in the Bronx and cycling. So we'll set that up later yeah, in the sure. year. For sure. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you. Um, so yeah, I'm about to wrap it up. This is the Rolling with Tay podcast. If 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 I may interrupt you, yeah, I want to give you I want to give you some shout out and credit. Um, not, not, not just, not even for having me, but for, for the way you've been moving, pun intended through this community, um, and really establishing your own lane, your own self, your own identity and, and killing it. You know, you, I've been watching you. It's been dope to see, um, from the small brief interactions that we have to 
the side conversations and when I see you post a ride or when I see you link up with certain people, I'm like, yo, dope people with dope people. That makes me so happy, you know, and and I just want to give you the kudos and the respect that you deserve that, you know, you, you're doing your thing as well. And you should have somebody on one day interview you um, because you, 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 you're just as worthy of having everything that you're doing and a part of being told and spread out there. So shout out to you and thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Maybe maybe you can interview me. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll talk about it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Thank you for listening to Rolling With Tay Podcast. I'm your host, Tasia, a.k.a. Tay, and this is episode 11.